Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, beloved. God bless all of you. Welcome here to Chaos Blog Talk Radio, Tuesday night Bible study hosted by Praise Tabernacle Church, located in the beautiful city of Lawrenceville, Georgia. Physical address, 275 Simonton Road, Southeast, Lawrenceville, Georgia, 30045. Our Sunday morning service starts at 8.45 a.m. God bless all of you tonight. We're so excited about what God is doing. Thank God for another day. Thank God for his grace and his mercy shown toward each and every one of us. I tell you what, we had such a high time on this past Sunday, um, our Sunday morning celebration, had such a great time and had such a great speaker preaching from the subject, Joy in the Journey. Joy, I think I got it right, Joy in the Journey. And that young man preached and teached, and uh, we left encouraged, knowing that no matter what we're going through, we can hold our heads up, we can be excited because God is going to bring us out of it. So we thank God for that, uh, that service which Minister Tobert preached for us on Sunday. Tonight we have another one of our great speakers and teachers, our newly uh, licensed evangelist. Amen. I think this will be her, I think this will be her first teaching since she's been License or be her first message teaching as a licensed evangelist. Amen. So we're not going to prolong the time. We'll say a word of prayer, and then the next voice you hear will be that of evangelist Talia Bugs. And we thank God for that family, the Bugs family. Also, we thank God for the Tobert family. They're doing, both of these young couples are doing such a fantastic job in our ministry, and we're grateful to God to have them working along with us. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you, appreciate you. We ask that you would touch the leader on tonight as she leads us in our study, ask that you would crown her head with wisdom and knowledge and give her what to say to encourage your people. We thank you for those that will be participating on the panel. And, God, we ask that you give us insight as well to assist and we thank you for everything that's going to take place on tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Evangelist Bug, services into your hands. God bless. Thank you, Pastor Umar. Good evening, everyone. I am so grateful that you guys are with me on tonight. And we are picking up where we left off in our conversation about holiness, righteousness, and being countercultural, going in the opposite flow, opposite direction of what the world says we should and how the world says that we should live. Um, so we are coming back to Ephesians 4, and we left off on Ephesians 4:17. Um, and just to recap what we've talked about so far um, is just – how the Gentiles who are not reconciled with God, how they live their live their lives, and how they uh, live their lives in a way where their wisdom 
is the highest form of wisdom. Man's wisdom is being woke, it's being intellectual, it's reading all these things and knowing all these things about the world. But yet still at the end of the day, all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge leads to nothing. And not that it's not valuable, not that it doesn't help us to grow and learn and do things, but ultimately it's not leading us to anything. And how we as believers, we have a wisdom and we have a knowledge that leads to eternal life. And that's knowing who Jesus Christ is, that's knowing who God is, that's reading his word and being perfected in our faith every single day as believers. And so we are going to pick up from Ephesians 4:17 and I know that if you have been listening to church in this season that we're in right now, God is saying something to us. Um he is waking up his church and reminding us whether we're newly saved or we've been here for a long time that there are things that we used to do, there are parts of us that we used to have, but it's time to walk in a newness. It's time to walk in something different. It's time to put off who we used to be and not go back to who we used to be, but to continue to grow in the body of Christ. And if that's the common theme that we can put together, that we have a faith to believe in Jesus Christ and we have access in that faith to a God who is holy, that loves us and care about, cares about us, a God who has a plan and purpose for our lives. We have a new yoke that's going to guide our footsteps and direct our paths. We have this God that loves us and cares about us. So as his children, we should be walking in his path for us, trusting in his plan for us, and then sharing who he is with the world around us. And so that is the the message that we're hearing right now, and we're going to talk more about what it means to be in this newness and to walk in this new identity in God. Um, and so in Ephesians 4, 17, um, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. And so when we look at how Gentiles live, the ones who are apart from God and how they understand who God is, we see that they're living a life that is not holy. And to be holy, I want to remind us again that it means to be set apart. And being holy, us as believers, means that we belong to God. And so we are looking at what makes a Gentile unholy or unclean. And so here, the Gentiles that Paul is speaking to were either atheists, meaning they didn't believe in any god, or they believed in multiple gods who themselves were immoral. They believed in gods who made mistakes. They believed in gods who also struggled with sin. They believed in gods who didn't conquer death on the cross. They believed in gods that were just like them. And so... 
In their denial of the one true God, they denied any standard of morality that they must answer to. They're looking at our God and saying, well, why should I have to follow your God if your God struggled with sin, if your God had multiple wives, if your God um, had struggled with sexual sin, if your God struggled with greed? But our God isn't like that at all. Our God is set apart from sin. He doesn't even enjoy being in the presence of sin. Being in the presence of sin is a detestable smell, and the aroma of sin is pungent to God. God hates sin, and so we know that our God is not like the other gods. And so these atheists that Paul is trying to speak to, he's trying to educate them that, no, 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 this God that I'm talking about is Holy. So you just can't approach him doing any old thing, thinking that that there's some gray area, there there's some wiggle room or some leeway when it comes to his holiness and that you can get away with some stuff. No. This guy that I'm talking about, you have to understand that he is holy and he's calling you to participate in that holiness. And so a part of Ephesians four seventeen says that they were past feeling. And this has the idea of one skin becoming callous and no longer sensitive to pain. Um, And so what we're saying is that the more people sin, that they become blind in their heart, meaning that their heart has just completely become unaware of this sin or even that their heart has become hardened. And this ancient Greek word for hardened is used medically to denote that a callus has formed when a bone has been fractured and reset. And this callus is even harder than the bone itself. So when we sin one time and the Lord tries to, you know, correct us from that sin, but we don't feel that correction or that even that conviction that I just done something that is in direct opposite character of this holy God and we keep going, it gets easier to sin the next time and then gets harder to hear that call and that poke and that tug at the heart when we are doing that sin. So then that's how we get caught up in the bondage because we're starting to turn away from that voice and starting to turn away from that nudging that's calling us away from that sin. And we decide, and people decide, no, I want to stay here and I want to do this. And so, you know, what does that callous look like in today's society? Um, when we talk about calluses, you know, we know any of us who have ever grown up on a playground, played a sport, you know, if you, for me, it was the monkey bars. I used to love the monkey bars. It didn't matter, rain or shine, I was out there on those monkey bars. But after a while of doing it over and over and over and over and over again, you know, you get the little bumps on your hands, the little calluses or as we call them, the blisters. And that was a sign that you've been doing it too much, right? You needed to take a break because you're doing it to the point that you're injuring yourself and you're hurting yourself. But if you really love what you do, then you would do it even through the pain because it's not like you don't feel it because when you get back on those monkey bars and you've got the blisters on your hands, you feel it. It's painful, but you can ignore the pain 
to get to the other side and to have the fun that you want to have. And once you get down, you might shake your hands and, you know, try to get the feeling back in your hands, but you're just like, you know what, it's fine. I'm still having fun. I'm going to keep doing it again. So we get to the point to where we get numb. And as Gentiles who are not saved, you know, it's easy to approach God like we are so worthy of his love. Or even if you are not careful in some parts of the world, they'll say that we are his equal. We are we ourselves as humans, we are part gods. We're demigods. And we have to be careful because some people approach God like, yeah, you know what, God, I would die to save me too. I mean, I'm pretty great, aren't I? And, you know, we can become so unaware or ignore how our sin creates a distance between ourselves and God, that we don't even feel like there's a need for reconciliation. We don't even feel that there's a need to make ourselves right again with our one and true living holy God. And even in some church culture, people treat sin as if it's no big deal. God is a loving God, and he'll forgive you, and that's true. But God also says that we can't abuse our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ just to live how we want to live and do what we want to do, we have to use that freedom to press towards the mark of the high calling. We're being called to holiness and righteousness. And so if we have sin in our life, then it's time for us as believers not to stay in that sin anymore, but to nail it to the cross to bring every sin, every hindrance, everything that might hold us back from living the life that God called us to, to the cross, to, to stop giving ourselves blisters and becoming numb to the sin that's in our lives and making excuses for it or compromising, but we have to take that sin and bring it to God. That's how we are called apart and set apart as believers. And people who are not believers, you know, they don't care. It is what it is. And we're getting to the point that sin isn't really even sin anymore. Um, the world says that, you know, some parts of the world, some factions say that it's just something that the man uses to control you and brainwash you into obedience. Sin isn't sin anymore. It's lifestyle choices. It's vices. It's red flags. It's not something that has life or death consequences. It's YOLO. It's live your best life. It's treat yourself. It's just something that you do to make yourself happy, to live your truth and do what pleases you in your flesh. And sin is not something that has even eternal consequences anymore. For some people, they are so lost in their sin that they don't recognize, they don't see that what you do today you have to answer to when Jesus Christ comes back. When he comes back and he puts up that big screen, and I think it's going to be on an 85-inch TV. I don't know. God, God might have a 125-inch TV. I don't know how big TVs are going to be when Jesus comes back. But whenever he comes back and he puts your life up on that big screen, believer or non-believer, we are all going to have to answer to our sins and the things that we did, our actions, the good things and the bad things. And I've said this before, I don't know about you, but I want to have more good things than bad things. And I just hope that Jesus fast forwards 
through the bad things and that, you know, he doesn't, like, lose the remote or something and we're all scrambling trying to find the remote so we can fast forward to the good parts. So I, myself, I'm focused. I am trying to live my life in a way that is righteousness and holiness because that's something that I get to take part in now that I am a believer and now that I have confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's not the way that it is in the world. Our world has normalized sin. So it's getting to the point that people don't even understand how dirty our sin makes us, how much it stains us, our souls, our hearts. And there's so much pride in our hearts that we don't even realize that the holy God that we're trying to draw near to, whether we're believers or not believers, that pride in our hearts can stop us from seeing, it can limit us and prevent us from seeing that this God is so pure and free of sin that there is nothing else like him. There is no other God that is as holy as he is. And, you know, I was thinking about this, Mr. Tolbert, and I hope hope you laugh at this, Mr. Tolbert. I was thinking about this, and you always say that you come to encourage all of us, whenever it is that you're teaching and you're preaching, and I was laughing because I feel like I'm the exact opposite, and it's not that I don't that I'm not coming to encourage y'all, but I feel like I'm always coming to sharpen y'all, um, to uh, push y'all to be pressing towards the mark of that high calling and not give it up. So I just think it's so funny that you are the one who encourages, and then I'm the one who's always like, oh, that's so nice of you to say, okay. Um, Please and thank you. Move on. So that makes me laugh because here we are, you know, talking about how we have to approach this holy God. And there's things that we do, there's things that are part of us in our sinful nature that naturally put us in opposition to this holy God. And when we look at the Bible, we see so much sin and disobedience. And what are the words that the Bible uses when it's talking about this sin and this disobedience? Right now I'm in the book of Numbers. Um, and in the book of Numbers, the Israelites, if you've ever read the book of Numbers, if you know, they were messing up left and right. They were unhappy. They were complaining. They were disobedient. They didn't believe the Lord and his promise and what they said he was going to do. And whenever they did something, the Bible says that God's wrath was kindled. It's like a fire. It burns. And that's how he feels about sin. It's something that burns him up. And it's so much so that God, in the book of Numbers, there are several points where God is like, I'll kill them all. I'll kill them all right now. And Moses has to remind God of his promise and tell him, whoa, 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 whoa. I know that's how you feel, but this is who you said you are. You are a God who's going to multiply this nation, bring us into the promised land, so you can't kill us all off because this is who you say you are. But, you know, even in reading that this time around, I had to stop and think, like, oh, my gosh, even though he said he would never kill off all of the world ever again when he promised that to Noah, he would be 100% justified in doing so because he's so holy and he's dealing with these people who are so disobedient and so unhappy and disgruntled and so just in such a complaining, negative Nancy mood, he would have been justified to kill off all of this nation in the wilderness. But he's still a loving God that when Moses reminded him of his promise, God said, you know what, you're right. 
I'm not going to kill them off, even though I could because I'm that holy. I'm going to teach them the errors in their ways, and we're going to just move on and along what, what we need to do so that we can get to this promised land. And that's just something to me that I'm just like, wow, I know, Lord, I have been this Israelite, complaining about the things that you've given me, complaining that it wasn't enough, that I want to go back to the old ways and the old days. And if you've really been saved, saved long enough, you've had those moments where you might have stopped and been like, oh, girl. It was easier when I was not saved and I was just living my life doing whatever. But now that I am saved, I don't know. But I think about the songs from the Mississippi Mass Choir, I'm Not Tired Yet. And I've been working for Jesus a long time, and I'm not tired yet. And that is now starting to become more of my mindset of no more, a lot less of, Lord, I want to go back to being unsaved because it was easier then. But I'm shifting more now the older that I get to, Lord, if this is what you want, I'm not tired yet. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to hope in you that you will get me through this, and I'm going to keep going because I'm not tired yet. And so I'm just going to take a moment right now and pause for the panel. Um, I want to thank everybody on the panel. I forgot to do that at the beginning. Thank you all so much for being on here tonight, and I'm looking forward to what it is that you all have to add and share on tonight. Amen. Amen. God bless you, uh, Evangelist Bugs. I was sitting here, uh, well, not sitting, I'm walking, actually, and I was thinking about uh, when you was talking about becoming numb, and I thought about, uh, you know, before you have a surgery, uh, what they do is either they're going to numb the area, depending on where they got to cut or whatever, or they're going to put that anesthesia, I guess they bring in an anesthesiologist, I think that's who it is, uh, or the person that that they use to, I, I, I generally just call that knockout gas. Um, I thought about when I had my surgery a few years ago, uh, the, the person, they put a little mask on me and told me to count backwards from three. And the only thing I remember saying was three. I don't remember I don't remember getting to the two or to the one. And by the time I woke up, the surgery and everything was done, and I was in recovery. Um, in other words, I, I became or I had become dead to whatever was taking place because of uh, the, the sleeping, you know, the sleeping gas or what have you. And, and it's seemingly, seemingly that's where where a lot of the church is and Definitely, the world is. We're we're sleep. We're we're under that uh, sleeping gas, if, if that's what it is. That uh, you know, we, we're knocked out. We we're not a, we're not awake. We're not paying attention. Uh, we don't. You know, we go to work and we work around certain individuals, and we're 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 sleep. We're working. We're up. We're walking around. We're moving, but we're sleep. You know, we go home and we're, we're sleep. You know, we come to church. It's bad to come to church and go to sleep. But a lot of us are even at church, and the devil has said, I'm going to count backwards from three. And, and he can't even get to the two and the one. He's already he's just at the three, and we, we are we're asleep. And that's what happens when, when, you know, when that happens, you, you are at the mercy 
of whoever that person is that's operating or doing whatever. You know, you can look on YouTube and see these different nurses that have done crazy things and doctors that have done crazy things when that patient, uh, you know, go, goes out, you know, or goes under the, the gas or whatever, you know, and that's the way it is. You know, spiritually, um, the enemy is just pretty much, you know, what he say is what a lot of us that are claiming the name of Christ, you know, he, he's put that, that sleeping gas in us. And, and you know, when, when he says jump, we jump. When he says holler, we holler. When he says cuss, we cuss. When, when he says fornicate, uh, we fornicate. When he says adultery, we commit adultery. When he, he say lie, we lie. He say cheat, we cheat. And, and it's just as if we're unconscious and we, we don't have no regret. We don't have no remorse about it. So you're doing such a great job tonight, but it's even, you know, I, I like it because, you know, Jesus had, uh, he had different ones in, in his 12. And he had the sons of thunder, which was James and John, the two brothers, which wanted to call down fire from heaven. Then he had Peter that uh, wanted to, to cut up folk and all that. But then he had, you know, he had other ones that were, that were different. And that w- that's what makes up the body of Christ. Uh, you, you're going to have some that, that are going to be cut, cutthroat, kind of, if you will. And then you're going to have others that have that ministry of being a little more, if you can, if I can say it this way, just a little more compassionate. You know, as a pastor, I have to be both. Uh, and that's, that's come through years of being in church and learning and studying. And, you know, sometimes I have to reprove and rebuke. And sometimes I have to exhort and encourage uh, just depending on the individual, you know, everybody, you know, in, in general talking, everybody, you can't just cut up because you'll lose them. Some folks, you have to give them chance after chance and let them fall, let them fall, let them fall and hurt themselves. It's just like me as a father, you know, I don't have to carry my older kids, you know, anymore, but I have to still every now and then, ice picker go to sleep in the car and we'll get out because I have to carry him. You know, there there's certain things, you know, have to watch him in the bathroom, have to watch him when he eat. There's certain things we got to watch. And then with my others, I don't have to do that as much. So uh, great teaching tonight. I'm enjoying it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bishop. Um, And, you know, we are going to push on to... The next part of this this section of Ephesians 4, um, and we're still talking about God's holiness. Um, and so, Bishop, as you were saying, how we, uh, some of us are, you know, in need of someone to help carry us and hold us and get us there. And some of us are at that stage that we can say, you know, I don't have to look out for you. I don't have to watch you. So if you are at the point where you are the one who needs to be carried, you're the one who needs to be encouraged, you're the one who needs to be shaped and molded, then, you know, we're listening and looking for where are the areas and ways in my life that I need to surrender to God that are strongholds in my life. What are the things that I need to grow up in? And if you're the seasoned, mature saint, then uh, 
you know, it's how do I get comfortable with holding someone else? How do I get comfortable with supporting someone else? How do I get comfortable calling out the sin in someone else's life and confessing and teaching someone else to confess and being a safe space that someone can come to me and confess their sin and we can pray together and and help each other and encourage each other and be a safe space in the body for someone who might be weaker in the faith. And so, you know, we talk about all of these things and some of us, if we're the ones who needs to be carried, um, or if we're interacting with people that we know aren't as strong in the faith, we know that these people, for some of us, who we treat God with contempt, meaning that we don't value him, we uh, don't appreciate him, because we don't understand who he is. And so because we don't understand who he is, this lack of knowledge of who God is, you know, we might come into church or know people who come into church like, God, you should be happy that I'm here. Because there's other gods like money, sleep, sex, alcohol, social media, and many other things that I could be following, but, you know, I'm here. So, like, just be grateful. And we treat God as if he should be happy with our leftovers, like we should just get a participation trophy just for showing up. That's that church being asleep where it's just like, God, you should just be happy that I'm in this building because we all know that every church is corrupt. They're all stealing the money. The pastors are are corrupt. The body is corrupt. So, like, just be grateful that I even showed up here, God. And we can't live our lives that way as believers once we know who God is. Once we know that he is not a God that deserves our leftovers, but the first thing that we have, the first the first fruit of our harvest, that's what he deserves. He deserves the best part, the fat, the, the juicy, meaty parts of our lives, the very best. That's what he deserves. And when we learn who he is, we learn that just doing the bare minimum, just doing enough to get by, is not going to be enough to satisfy the God that is asking for our whole and entire being. He's asking for all of us. Um, We had a pastor come to speak to us last week at school, and his name was Recap Gray. And he said something at one point throughout the week, and he said that we all want God to be this loving, cuddly God who just loves us and will do anything for us, but we don't want to submit to him as Lord. We want the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We want the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But we don't want to die on the cross daily and carry our cross. We don't want to suffer in trials and tribulations. We don't want to experience any loss. We don't want to experience any pain. We don't want to experience any heartache, any persecution. We don't want to experience all of that stuff. We want the good stuff. We want the prosperity, the blessings, the abundance, the Mercedes-Benz, the six-bedroom house, the trips across the world. We want this bag, that bag. We want this hair, that hair, this shoe, that shoe. We want the good parts if we are immature in Christ. 
That's what we think that the Christian life is about, and that's what the devil has got the world thinking, that once you become saved and you get in the $1,000 money line, $10,000 money line, and you get your pastor, his private airplane, then God's going to bless you for that obedience, and you yourself will one day have your own private airplane and your own car and your own things and your own material blessings. But in the real church that's not being deceived by this every wind of doctrine, we know, like Minister Tober said, it's like a roller coaster. There are highs and there are lows. Not every single day of your life are you going to be in poverty. But if those seasons come where you have less, then we learn to be like Paul and be grateful and content when we have less, when we have more, when we have something to eat, when we don't have something to eat, when we have clothes to wear, when we don't have clothes to wear. I am content solid, rooted, grounded in Christ, it doesn't matter. And so when we have that mindset, then we suddenly become aware that, mm, I don't know about that church uh, First Baptist on the corner of Jesus Christ, because that church at First Baptist on the corner of Jesus Christ is preaching something about this prosperity gospel. And I know my word says that there will be lack and abundance, and in all of those seasons, I'm still content and rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And so we, as we get mature, we learn that God is everything. He deserves all of us. And not only is he everything, but he is holy and he is different from us in every way. And so that definition of being holy is set apart or separate. And looking in the Old Testament when the Israelites were building the tabernacle, and God gave Moses the instructions of building the tabernacle. This word holy, it means something. God wasn't in the outer part of the tabernacle in the inner gates. That's not where he was. God wasn't in even the first room of the tabernacle when you entered through the the doors of the tabernacle. He wasn't in that first room. God is in the holy of holies, the most set apart of the set apart, the most separate of the separate. He was in the holy of holies, and everything that belonged to God, everything that was a testament of who he was, the Ark of the Covenant, the the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the manna that was on the ground, everything that was any testament of who God was was in the holy of holies. And there was a veil that separated God from the priests and the Levites that were in the temple. And this veil was there to protect the people from God's holiness because if they were to enter into God's holiness beyond the veil, they would die instantly. Like this is not something to play with play with, with this holiness. We're talking about somebody who would instantly die, collapse dead. The priests had to wear bells at the bottom of their garments. So that way, if they were in the room and they died, the other priests on the outside, the other Levites on the outside would hear the bell stop moving and drag his dead body out of the room, right? We're talking about a holy that is not to be played with. And the only time the priests in the Old Testament were allowed to enter beyond the veil was on the Day of Atonement when they went before the Lord and they presented this ram, they presented this animal to God to bear the atonement of sin, to to make atonement of the sin of the nation. 
where they sent this animal out into the wilderness and took the sin away from the people. That was the only day that the priests were allowed to enter beyond the veil. So this isn't just some random room. God is in the most VIP of VIP sections, okay? If there there was a number before first class, he's there, okay? We dare say God is the pilot, okay? You can't even get in that cockpit without any special license. You got you to gotta know somebody to know somebody to get in there where the pilot is, right? So God is holy, set apart. They, this holiness is just absolute purity. He's so holy that even the angels cover their faces in his presence, okay? The angels themselves are holy beings, and imagine the holy angels having to cover their faces because not even they, they're not even worthy of being in his presence, right? And so we, we think about this holiness and what it means to be in, in the presence of this holiness in Exodus 34, Verses 20, in Exodus 34, verse 29, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after being in God's presence for this 40 days where he's getting the instructions for the tabernacle, he's getting the instructions of the Ten Commandments, God's telling him everything that he needs to know and write down. Moses has been up there for 40 days, and he comes down, and his face is glowing. He's literally glowing. And he's glowing because the glory of God and being in his presence was on him. And he is glowing so much. And I'm not talking like he's got some highlighter on or somebody's shining a light on his face. He is literally glowing so much that the Israelites were afraid of him. And Moses had to cover up his face because it was terrifying to see a human literally glowing the way that Moses was. And it's just like imagine spending that much time in God's presence and being so not human-like that other people demand that you cover up so they don't have to look at you and the Lord's glory upon you. Imagine being so much like Jesus Christ that you look so different from the world that other people are like, oh, no, please stop that. Don't do that around here. Don't bring that around here. We don't want any part of that. you got to cover that up. You can't be Christian in here. Mm-mm, don't proclaim the name of Jesus. You better get on up out of here. Let me stay in my sin. Didn't nobody ask for all that church stuff. you got to go. you got to get out of here. And so, you know, we ask, what does that have to do with us today? Jesus is our high priest. And when he died on the cross for us, tore that veil, that very same veil that separated God from his chosen people, it has been torn so that we ourselves may come before God. And maybe you've never thought about it like this, but in our church today, in our world today, we treat God as if, you know, some of his holiness slipped out of the room when the veil was torn. God didn't lose any of his holiness. It's not like it's how it used to be when you were a kid or maybe how you are now, depending on who you are, where if somebody's coming in and out of your house in the hot summer months and that AC is slipping out the the house, you might have heard somebody say you letting all the cold air out or the hot air out in the wintertime, right? It's, it's not like the veil tore and God's holiness was being let out 
No, he's still the same God. He didn't lose any amount of holiness. It's not like a flat tire where the air is just slowly seeping out till there's nothing left. No, God is the same amount of holy, veil torn or not. But we get to come before him now that this veil is torn because he's the same holy God that he was in the Old Testament. But when he looked at us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And as Minister Tolbert was been, has been saying, um, on Tuesday and on this past Sunday, this faith that we have in his son and who he was and what he did on the cross and where he is now, okay, that same faith gives us access to the one and only holy God, and it gives us access to go beyond the veil, to go in the throne room, to go at Jesus' feet and lay our burdens down, to make our confessions, to make our requests, to go boldly before God because of what he did. We can enter into this holiness where in the past, if someone even stepped into that room before they were supposed to in the Day of Atonement, they would have died, would have died. But now because his son died for us, we may enter into that holiness. And not only do we get to enter into that holiness, but that holiness becomes a part of us. It becomes so much so a part of us that when we're in the presence of sin, it is now repugnant to us. It is disgusting to us. It is off-putting to us. It is unsettling to us. We start to get to the point that God's holiness seeps through in us in our lives, that being around sin is not something that we're comfortable to. We're not numb anymore. Bishop, as you said, we've woken up. We're realizing, oh. I can't cuss anymore. Uh Uh-uh. I don't like when you say that word. Don't say that around me. Oh, I can't watch this anymore. There's too much sexual activity. I don't need to be watching this. Oh, I can't listen to this this, this music anymore because that's not the kind of lifestyle that I'm living. I don't want watches and cars and clothes and bottles and VIP sections. I want holiness, righteousness. I want Jesus to be a fence around me every day. I need the Lord to cover me. That's what I need. And we start to get to the point where we wake up to the world around us, and if we're mature in Christ, then we start trying to wake other people up too. And when that happens, we live in a way that makes other people uncomfortable. And it's just like imagine living so boldly for Christ that when you come around people, people are desperate to cover you up and make you go away so that they can be comfortable in their darkness. But we can't put our light under a bowl. What's the point of having a light and trying to cover it? It's not valuable to us. It doesn't produce anything for us. If we are Christian and we say we're Christian, we're saved and we say we're saved and we try to compromise or cover up or hide the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. And so we can't hide that light that we have because we are disrupting other people's darkness. No. We have to profess and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. We have to be who we're called to be and be bold about it, staying on business, as as the young people say. All right, ten toes down. We got to say, hey, I understand that you might be comfortable with this. You might have become numb to this lifestyle that you're living. You might not even see or recognize how far away you are from God. But if you would just let me show you, be a light for you, help show you to the word of God and what it is that he's saying to you, you yourself might wake up. 
you yourself might have this light and you yourself might see that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And so because of this this knowledge that I have, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the reason why we get to come before this holy God because he was our high priest. He tore that veil for us through the blood that he poured out. Okay, the only way that we could be cleansed from sin, according to the Old Testament law, was through blood. It had to be blood. No other thing was going to cleanse us. It had to be blood. So for Jesus to shed his blood on the cross, he satisfied the requirement of the law. He satisfied the requirement and the price for our sin, and he paid that for us. And so because of that, there is nothing that you owe. Your debt has been wiped clean. And we just because we say that there's nothing that you owe, you, you still have to live your life in just a way. You don't get to just be debt-free and then go and get yourself back in more debt, okay? You don't get to get your student loans forgiven and decide that this is the year you want to go for your doctorate degree in medicine and be in school for the next 20 years and rack up thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. We're saying your debt has been wiped clean. Now go forth and live your life and sin no more. Be a testament and a witness of who Jesus Christ is. Go into all the nations. Teach all the nations. This is the price that you have to pay. Sacrifice your will, your life, your plans, and submit yourself to God and what he has purposed for you, and you live that life as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You no longer have an identity outside of Christian. You no longer have an identity outside of child of God. And if the world tries to tell you anything or if, the, if anybody else tries to tell you anything contrary to that, you got to get away from that. You got to rebuke that. And you got to reject that because no, now you are holy, you are set apart, and it's time for you to live in such a way that you are set apart. And so we have to live in a way that our light exposes the sin around us, whether it's directly or indirectly. And it is our job to live in a way that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that we don't make the Holy Spirit sad for us, groan for us, because we're trying to return back to that darkness, whether we know it or not, that we're doing things that are contrary to God's word. We're doing things that are opposite of God's character. We're doing things that are damaging to our witness as Christians. And the only reason why we should be going back into dark places is because we are pulling people out. We're not going into dark places to be in dark places. We're not going into rooms and turning the lights off just to sit there because it feels nice. No, no, no. We're not slipping back into sin just because it feels nice. No. We're going into these dark places and cutting those lights on. And I joke with my students all the time. I'll turn the lights off for them, you know, to, like, help them learn better and, like, help ease their brains and anxiety. But then there's a little part of me that gets excited when it's time to cut the lights back on because I give them no warning. I go and I flip that light switch on, and they're like vampires. They hiss. They get upset when the lights come back on all of a sudden and just like, oh, why? No, please stop. Turn the lights off, please. Oh, my God, please, can you turn the lights off? Like, why? And that's how we have to live as Christians. And I'm not saying that you do it in a way where you're like, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're a sinner. You're going to die from your sin. No, that's not it. What I'm saying is 
okay, listen, this is what God's word says, so you do with that what you want. I love you. I really want you to go to heaven, but you get to make that choice. God's not going to force you. That's why we have free will. I'm just saying that if you want to choose Jesus Christ, you don't get to abuse your free will and do things that you're not supposed to do. And so I just hope that you stay encouraged and that one day you may, you know, trust and hope and believe in the Lord for yourself, and that's it. It's in love. It's in gentleness. It's with patience. It's with kindness. That's what we talked about when we did this first Bible study. We're not out here to judge the world because even Jesus didn't come to judge the world, to condemn the world. He came to save it. He came to offer salvation. He's going to come back for his judgment, but he didn't come here ready to look down on people. He didn't come here ready to make people feel bad. No, he came to bring them back into right relationships. He came to make them make them aware of the sin that they're living in and offer them a way out, and he's going to come back and deal with the people that rejected him. And that's for him to deal with. That's not for me to deal with. That's not for me to deliver judgment. That's not for me to say, all right, well, you're going to hell. I don't know what God's plan is for you. You might turn your life around. All I can tell you is this is his word and this is what he says. So I'm just going to take a moment to pause and just uh, allow um, those of you on the panel to speak to us. And, Bishop, if you would like, you can do the offering at this point, and then once that's done, we'll move on to the next part. All right, all right. You 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 cooking? You cooking, Evangelist Bugs? You cooking? Anybody on the panel got any anything that they want like to say right now before we do the offering? Um, I got some just right ahead. Um, definitely, um, a lot of information that we're uh, being taught on tonight. Get more uh, for those that are listening. Definitely a lot to take in, and I would like to say that. If an attitude, you know, how, you know, uh, basically what Jesus has, has done is, of course, um, you know, restored our, our connection with God, you know, so that gives us that opportunity. So, for example, I mean, I don't know how many of y'all mentioned, um, uh, you know, that was last week that it had an issue with you had any TNT or anything, you know, that, Connection was lost, you know what I mean? But, you know, once he restored, a lot of people, you know, felt a whole lot better. So even right now, um, those of us that have, you know, before you ever accepted Christ, you know, you didn't have that same level of connection with God and knew what it was like beforehand and how it is, how it is now. And, you know, it's just you know, the thing to make sure that we, we, we stay connected so that we, uh, you know, can experience everything that God has to offer for us, you know. So Jesus did a lot of work on the cross, and that work is still in effect, but still worse. Um, and we just, you know, I appreciate the encouraging word on the night and making sure that, you know, we follow through holiness, you know. Holiness is still, you know, the standard. God's way is still the standard. It's God's way or no way. So we got to make sure that we put off, um, as the scripture said, talking about putting off the old man, you know, which is, uh, which is corrupt, you know, according to the deceitful lust. So we got to make sure that we're putting off our old self, on our new self, that we are, you know, a new creature being accepted as, as, as Christian. So great encouraging word. Uh, definitely uh, learned about it, got a lot for the man. But that's, that's what I got.
All right. Thank you, Minister Tobert. Anyone else on the panel have any, any remarks as of right now? All right. Okay. Well, I'll offer an information on tonight for those of you that uh, feel led to give for Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, you can give directly through Cash App to our church, uh, dollar sign PTC 877. Dollar sign PTC says Praise Tabernacle Church. And the number is 877. Also, for our extended arms ministry, which is our outreach to our community, uh, you can give dollar sign extended arm. That's without an S. Extended arm. So dollar sign extended arm. And may the Lord bless you real good. Before I turn it over, if you if you guys if you get a chance, you can go uh, just to just look further support what Evangelist Bugs is uh, talking about. How quick God uh, rained down judgment uh, in the Old Testament. You can go look at I believe it's Second Samuel the sixth chapter when David was uh, preparing to move the Ark of the Covenant, and one of the men that were uh, Happened to carry a portion of the ark. He because one of the I think one of the cows or cattle or whatever stumbled, and the ark almost fell. And uh, I think the guy name was Uzzah, Uzzah, something like that. And he reached out and touched it, and trying to keep it from falling. <clears throat> and the Bible says immediately God, God killed him. God killed him, even though in, in think about it. You're doing something that you that you think is right, the right thing to do, but it's against God's word. Think about that. Think about that. You you're doing something that you feel is just the right thing to do in your mind, in your heart. That's why you you got to be careful because uh, they came out with a song years ago. I forgot who. I think it was uh, Goody Mob or somebody said my mind playing tricks on me. Uh, somebody, some rapper said that it was a song that said, my mind playing tricks on me. Sometimes your mind can play tricks on you. You can think you can be doing the right thing, and and if it's not the will of God or if it's not in the word, if what you're doing is contrary to the word, I don't care how right you think you is. You better stick. It, it, it behooves us. I'm going to say us, not you. I'm going to say us. It behooves us to stick with the word because your mind will play tricks on you. So stick with the word. Uh, Uzzah thought he was doing, uh, no doubt, a great job trying to hold the ark from falling, but it was against the will of God. That was not what he was supposed to be doing. So, Ben's Buzz, you're doing a great job on tonight. The service is back into your hands. God bless. So much for for your comments. I appreciate them. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about doing what the Lord has called us to do. Um, and so, you know, in this next part of this chapter, it's talking about not only doing what you think is right, but not even caring if it's wrong. Because um, some 
of us as Christians, we've done things where we felt like, well, the Lord, you know, I think that this is what God is telling me to do. And then we do it, and then things go horribly wrong, and we're just like, okay, so maybe that wasn't God talking. Maybe that was my own still, small voice that I heard um, that was actually kind of loud. And if I would have waited for just a little bit longer, I would have been able to discern that uh, it actually wasn't God, and I was just acting out of what I thought was right. And so there's there's that side of it, and then there's the other side of it where it's, I don't care if I'm wrong or if I'm right. I'm just going to do what I want to do because it's what makes me happy. And I know that at some point in our walk, we have all faced that point that there's there's a, there's a thing, there's a something in all of our lives at some point or another where we've had a, once we got saved, I'm not talking about pre-saved, but once we got saved, there was a point in, in our life where we had to reconcile and reckon with that thing that was our, I don't care whether it's wrong or right, what the Bible says, I'm going to do it. And something had to happen where we said, all right, God, I hear you. I see now. This is clearly not what you want for me to do, and I need to surrender this, repent of this, and give this to you. Um, There comes a point in our lives as believers where we get to that point where we can say, God, you know what, I I actually do care now, and this is contrary to who you are, and I I don't want to live like this anymore. And for those people who have not given this, character, this trait, this behavior to God is called licentiousness. In Ephesians 4, um, 19, it's saying licentiousness, which is a sin that flaunts itself, throwing off all restraint and having no sense of shame or fear. Uncleanness is a broad word, mostly with reference to sexual impropriety. And so, um, the Greek word is called aselge. I think I'm saying that right, aselge. And uh, it's translated to licentiousness. And this characteristic of aselge is that the bad man usually tries to hide his sin. But the man who has aselge in his soul does not care how much he shocks public opinion so long as he can gratify his desires. Um and I, uh, originally when I wrote this, I said, you know, there's not a whole lot of need to go into detail on this because all you have to do is just look at the Internet. Look at all the dark, weird, immoral corners of the Internet where if you really go looking, you'll find it virtual reality. Like all of this stuff that's just on the Internet and then in real life because there's real people doing these weird things on the Internet. They're in somebody's basement somebody's living room and somebody's bedroom right now doing all these weird things. And it's like you look at the news and the celebrities getting exposed for the things that they did in the dark, because you know who I'm talking about, right, and these these special parties that are happening and these VIP who's who list parties where people are doing all kinds of sexually explicit and immoral acts. And it's not just there in Hollywood. It's in music videos. It's in TV shows. It's in movies. Like, we are being exposed to more and more as a, as a culture. That filter that used to be there where you couldn't even say, you couldn't even say a bad word on TV now is nothing. Like, it's hard to find a show that doesn't cuss. It's hard to find a show that's not promoting the abuse of alcohol. It's hard to find a show that's not just basically taking you all up in the bedroom 
and showing you all of the things that you're not supposed to see, right? We, we have to be careful because we're being exposed to so much, even to the point to where you have to be careful with ads. Just scroll it on your phone. I was on YouTube trying to find a kid's video for Lily and Emerson, and I saw this lingerie ad, and I was like, why? Why am I looking at this? I don't want to see this. No part in my Internet algorithm did I ever say that I wanted to see this. And it's just like, how do I block this? How do I cut this off? I can't. According to the Internet, I'm in the age group, the demographic, the area, the location, that this is the kind of stuff that I want to see. But the devil is a liar. This is not the kind of stuff that I want to see. But there's no moral code to answer to, so there's just freedom in the Internet. You can just be exposed to all these things. And if you think about it, I was looking for kid content. So if there's a child on the Internet looking for kid content, and they see this, the devil now has an opportunity to begin working in a child's life, to expose them more and more to these things, and that they see it and they're interested, they're curious, they don't know what it is, then they go to investigate on their own, now they're struggling with a porn addiction because it could happen that fast, right? And so we're talking about being exposed to so much. And when I wrote this, like I said, I said that there was not a whole lot and a whole lot of need to go into it, but this past weekend I got caught up. I'll admit it, y'all. I got caught up. I don't listen to uh, anything but Christian gospel, but I got caught up looking at Lil Nas X and whatever song he made about Jesus Christ and the imagery behind his video, and I think about him when I hear this word and how he is just so deep in exploring this biblical imagery and blasphemy because that's what it is and just blaspheming in the name of God, the things of God, and he's so unashamed about it. He might have come out and said sorry, but is he really sorry? We don't know. So we're getting to the point that the things of God is art. The things of God is uh, old. It's just culture. It's just this, it's that. It's something that doesn't hold any weight, any value. It's not something that people are ashamed of or even afraid of blaspheming, coming against or talking about. Um, and so I I want to end at this part. Um, somehow we have not even – we put a dent in it. I'm not going to lie. We did, we did put a dent in it, but there's still so much more – for us to say, we're almost there at the end, but there's still so much more for us to say about holiness, about who God is, about being called apart and not living in this this life and this this world that we're in right now and being in it but not of it. That's, that's what I'm saying. We have to be in this world but not of this world. And I'm just going to share this last story, and then I'm done. I'll close. Um, as a public school teacher, right before I left public school, I was getting to the point to where I was starting to become okay with homosexuality because that was the agenda that was pushed in public school. That's what I saw in all of my students. That's what I saw in the hallway. That's just what I saw. That's what I became surrounded by. So I, as a Bible-fearing, God-fearing, Jesus Christ-fearing Christian was starting to come to the point where it was like, okay, but, like, God, like, loves you, and, like, homosexuality is a sin, but, like, he, like, loves you. So, like, you know, like, he loves you. And I was in the parking lot one day. Once I had made up my mind to leave public school and go to private Christian education, I was in the parking lot, and I was like, do I want to be the Christian that is okay with sin 
promoting sin and thinking that it's okay to be gay, it's okay to be uh, a lesbian, a homosexual, whatever. It's okay to do this. It's okay to be transgender. It's okay for boys to wear crop tops. It's okay for girls to dress like dudes. It's okay for all of these little subtle things or even the blatantly obvious out there in your face things. Am I okay with these things and being okay with the sin and compromising my faith? to the point to where I don't even believe in God's word anymore and I'm a hypocrite? Or am I just going to have to put my big girl panties on and just say, you know what, fine, call me homophobic, call me a hypocrite, call me a bigot, because this is what the word says. I can't justify it. I can't make excuses for it. I can't tell you that it's okay because the Bible clearly says that it's not. And I am now all of a sudden in this parking lot realizing, oh, my gosh, when did I get to this point that I was okay with this sin, that I supported it, that I was trying to use the Bible to condone it and make other people feel comfortable, and that's when I knew that I had to leave. That's when I knew that I had to go because I'm in an environment, in a place where I'm starting to become of the world, and I'm no longer just in it, that it's seeping into me, wrapping his hands around me, trying to choke out what faith I have and make me compromise so that I just become sleep to the devil and his schemes and not a light proclaiming the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear that God can save from abuse, he can save from anger, he can save from lust, he can save from homosexuality, he can save from anger, from addiction, he can save from all of these things. And how do I know? Because I'm a living witness. How do I know? Because that's my testimony. How do I know? Because I've seen him do it. How do I know? Because I was there. How do I know? Because I know that God can do it, and I have to be at a point in my faith that no matter what the sin is, no matter what the world is saying, that uh, this is what the Bible says. So you can say what you want to say, but if it's not in the Bible and it's not something that God says, yes, you can do that, uh, no, you are not about to trip me up or trap me up. I am not getting caught up in what you think is okay just because this is your new modern yesterday translation. Uh Uh-uh. I want what the Bible says and what God's word says, not how you're taking these words and twisting these words and changing these words to fit you. No, no. I want what the God says because I want to be holy and righteous and set apart because that's what he's called me to. That's the gift that I have in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so with that, I'm encouraging you to not give up. Do not compromise. Do not turn down your light, your brightness, because you're making other people uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable. At the very least, you've made them aware of their sin, and what they choose to do with that is between them and Jesus. But when you get to heaven, God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not just with the things that you do, but it's how you live your life, just being a light around people, whether it's directly or indirectly. Be set apart and be different. And if you know that there are areas in your life, if there's things about being a Christian that you feel yourself compromising on, get in the word and rebuke that thought. Bring it into captivity to the, the obedience of Jesus Christ and tell that thought, you have no place or authority in my life if you are anything contrary to the word of God. And with that, Bishop, I'm going to turn the service back over to your hands in the panel for any final comments. All right. Great. Great. 
great. That was great teaching and heart convicting. And tell you what, if anyone's straddling the fence after tonight, after that, hopefully that'll wake you up and cause you to make a decision. And one preacher said, once you make your decision, keep your decision decided. Uh, you you were saying something about just going through YouTube and searching through children's stuff. I I was at my baby boy's practice. I think it was Saturday, and uh, one of his teammates, the ice pick is five, but he played with the seven and eight year olds. He played with the older kids, but they all still pretty much babies. But one of his uh, his coaches, younger son. Uh, which I think this kid is probably about four years old. He may be the same age as Ice Pick. Um, but he wasn't practicing. He was in the dugout, and he was dancing. And the look, the way that the little boy was dancing, I mean, I was sitting there like, hey, man, hey, cut that out, cut that out. And uh, the other kids that was practicing, they were, you know, one of his brothers that plays on the team was like, hey, stop, stop dancing. And the mom and the coach start getting on the child. I mean, he was holding on to the fence and uh, I mean for lack of better words he was he was shaking his shaking his butt and I'm sitting thinking what in the world did this kid see this type stuff at that's what I'm thinking to myself and his brother says uh stop twerking stop twerking and he's a little little Spanish kid he's probably six or seven years old and he yells at his little brother and tells him to stop twerking I'm sitting like what in the world? And I told one of the other parents, I said, what in the world these kids? How do he know? First of all, the dancing that the little baby, the little boy was doing was kind of, it was inappropriate. But how does his brother, his older brother, know thing about Turkey? So <laughs> me and one of the other dads were like, man, you, you really got to, you really got to watch, you know, what these kids are doing. Um, you, we give these kids these phones and, just so that they can get out of our hair and leave us alone, we we let them be on the phone, and God knows what they're getting into. They be on these video games for hours at a time, and God knows what they're getting into. And and we as parents, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't go back to investigate, and uh, we don't try to block what we can. And as as Ben's book said, just certain stuff is going to come up regardless, but. There's certain things as parents is our job, is, is our duty. Uh, in my house, it, if it was up to me, when then one of my ch- children have a phone until they was about grown, if it was up to me. They, if, because I already know, you know, the things, the pitfalls and things that, that the enemy, you know, what he has set because it happened to me. Okay? And like Ben's book saying, I ain't, I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. And these traps that that happened to me back when I was a child, you know, these struggles and different things, and I still have to fight off. You know, I have the victory, but that don't mean the devil don't try to bring you, bring these things back up to your mind, okay? So we have to be careful. We have to guard our mind because the Bible says the adversary, our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's seeking who he made the Bible. And I've given my testimony in front of the church, uh, just based on, you know, what happened in childhood and 
being around cousins and different things and, you know, different things that happen in your life. And uh, so we got to be mindful. You know, we, we have to be mindful. Uh, these are strongholds. And, and what we used to have to do, what we used to have to sneak and do back when I was growing up, you know, you had to have a, a video or you had to have a, a magazine and you tried to hide it or you go to the store and you go to the back of the store where the area at and you can see this stuff. But now our children, they don't have to do none of that. It, we put these phones in their hands, and God knows who they're talking to. Uh, so many, uh, there was a child here in Gwinnett County, I think it was last year. Uh, she had hooked up with a grown man. She was in school, got hooked up with a grown man. And I think the last day of school, she left school, and they had the video of her leaving and going to the parking lot. And then they say, no, she vanished. And I think she was vanished for about two weeks. And thank God, if I'm not mistaken, they did find her. But she had went off on a, went out with an older guy, a grown man, and he took her away for two weeks. Or so we, we got to be careful. Okay, we got to be careful. You know, your children are your responsibility and they're our responsibility. And, you know, you don't want them, you know, as much as you can, you prevent as much as you can. You know, and they'll thank you in the long run. You know, they, they'll, they'll thank you. Even if they mad, children only be mad for a certain period of time. Believe me. Okay? They're going to want to eat again. They're going to need some new shoes. They're going to need some new clothes. Uh-huh. They're going to want to go on vacation. They're going to want to go to the game. They're going to want to do all this stuff. Their their madness is only for a moment. They'll get over it. Okay? And, I, and, and for me as a father, I don't care nothing about my children being mad. Okay? I don't care nothing about them being mad at me. I'm daddy. Okay, it ain't my job to be, you know, I'm friendly, but as I said in the church and I said wherever I go, I'm friendly to a point with my children, but I'm not trying to be their friend. I'm daddy, okay, and I want them to have a level of respect, a level of uh, fear, okay. I know some of y'all may say, I don't want my children scared of me. Oh, no, I want mine scared of me. I want mine scared. I want mine to have a fear of God. Uh, the fear, that's what I want. Okay, that means I know that they're going to reverence me. Okay, and they know they know I love them. They know I love them, but um, I want them to understand. To the day I die, I want my children to know that's my daddy. Okay, so that is both great job on tonight. I'm so excited about I guess round three. I guess we'll hit round three later on. All right, anyone else on the panel before we uh, dismiss on tonight? All right, all right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in to Praise Tabernacle Church's Tuesday night Bible study. It has been a pleasure. It's been a joy being uh, before you, and we're so glad. I'm excited as the pastor for the growth that that we're seeing uh, in in two of our uh, younger people and, and ministers that help us out in the church. Uh, Minister Tober and Evangelist Bugs, and along with their spouses, hey, their spouses carry a good word too, carry a strong words. So I'm I'm grateful, grateful for these young couples uh, working with us, and I'm praying that God will continue to strengthen y'all and keep the fire. Hey, it's one thing to start out. Uh, one scripture said, "You did run well, but who did hinder you?" So it's one thing to have a good start, but what's more important is how we finish. So let's earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints.
God bless you tonight, Father. We thank you. We appreciate you for another great Bible study. We thank you for our teacher on tonight, and we pray that you will continue to pour into her and into her husband and as they continue to grow their family. And we thank you for them. We thank you for the hunger and the eagerness that they have to serve you by serving your people. Thank you for the Tobert family, another great family in our church. And, God, I thank you even for the growth in them. Thank you for sending these families to Praise Tabernacle Church to help us in the vineyard. And I pray that you will continue to strengthen them, that every need is met. As we leave this place, God, but never your presence, we pray for journey mercies. And Matthew 28, 19 through 20 tells us to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.